it is time to talk about the funny monkey. <laughs> it is time. Monkey. Yeah, it's time to talk about the evil monkey from my favorite quarantine <laughs> show, Family Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Family Guy quarantine pod. And it's the you fucking know, boys. We it got seems today, like all you see is quarantines and Donald Trump. Quarantines and, and entitled teens. That's what we have. In quarantines and entitled teens, millennials fucking up everything. They're ruining the river. It's fucking. <laughs> We have to stop millennials from TikToking at the river. Uh, Bloodletting of millennials is what we're calling for on the Family Guy Quarantine Podcast. Uh, Thank you. On this week's episode of the Family Guy Quarantine Podcast, does Peter really need that extra pair of pants? That's really what I want to know. But uh, no, you fucking dumbass listeners. <laughs> We're listening to it's on the list. Have you actually been watching Family Guy while you've been yeah, quarantined? Dude, well, that's my favorite show. So I'd be watching it if I wasn't quarantined or not. But uh, welcome to it's okay. on the dumbass fucking stupid list with (laughs) dumbass fucking stupid marger and uh Uh, who am i with who am i with mason you want to identify yourself for once uh absolutely not i'm gonna just this is this is off to an awful start (laughs) no i'm just kidding this is all i have to live for not really i'm having a great time being quarantined and working from home it's mason mcguire your humble host your humble co-host and with us you might have already heard his voice already back again for a second time in the uh in the it's on the list uh, Thunderdome, say say hello, guest. Hello, it is Carter Piss Baby Moon. How how is everybody? How are <laughs> hey, y'all doing? What's up, you little piss baby? Uh, if you don't know, Carter is the uh, internet editor for Merry Go Round Magazine. Uh, he also hosts a podcast and created a podcast called Vague Booking, which I have appeared on, and my episode is out there on Apple Podcasts. If you want to take a look, he Mason also is hosts- not yet, and I apologize, Mason. We will get to it eventually. <laughs> Listen, man, you have you you have a you have a long. I have been checking up on the pod every week. You have more important people to get yeah, than anything um, I had to say seven months ago or whatever. Yeah, it's it's been pretty nuts to sort of book like actual internet legends and like oh, big sure. deal people that like I did not think we were going to get like even three months ago. Um, that's all thanks to the hard work of all, Jacob all Anderson. All in its time, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love Jacob Anderson. All in its Good time, boy. man. I am not worried about it. But yeah. yeah, listen to Vague Booking, folks. We love it. We love Mary Go Magazine. And if you do, have not listened to our very first episode of this podcast, Carter is basically the reason why this show exists. Sure am. We have not had him on since episode one. No, we haven't. And honestly, thank fucking God. But he's back <laughs> because we're under quarantine. And so we needed someone to talk about. Two very desperate, or not desperate, desperate things uh, today yeah. on the pod. In a way, yep. one of them is a very desperate, desperate thing. Uh, but we'll get into that. I'm not going to say which one yeah. it is yet. I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Carter, um, uh, can you run some people through what your quarantine schedule looks like? Just give the folks out there an idea of what a quarantine schedule looks sure. like. Moon. Oh, boy. Well, I've already been unemployed for... A month. I hit a month Congrats. today, um, and so I've been, you know, getting very good at, you know, sleeping in and then cooking myself a yep. awful meal <laughs> um, and just an atrocious meal, and then you know, busying myself with some kind of task or chore, whether that's cleaning the house or um, you know, fruitlessly flinging my resume at nothing in particular, hoping something sticks. Um, 
and then, you know, exercising way more than I normally would. Um, nice. Yeah. And other than that, like, I have, you know, done very little with my time of being unemployed. And for the most part, it's been sure. very nice. Um, so my, my routine is not that different. Um, I, you know, I, I uh, have watched a lot of movies, and that's been good at least. I had yeah. time to watch a movie for this podcast, and that was really that. fun. But, uh, yeah, sure. the, the real trick is to just come up with one thing to do Listen, with man. your day. One thing that's going to take a yeah, lot of time. I was freelancing and unemployed for most of last year, so I really feel like last year is like my, my kind of like weight training for whatever yeah, for dry run. this is happening. Yeah. And I do yeah. remember the kind of despair of just finding the one thing you're going to do with your day to get you out of the house. And for me, a lot of it was I'm going to sit in a park and read and, and with you know, and the nice. rest of it was just like, yeah, see, I've had, I, for the past month, I've had like tasks that needed to get done, whether That's it was nice. like deep cleaning something in the house or it was like taking care of different projects that had been like festering that I hadn't had time to give attention to. But like, I don't know, I've been working on a script for a movie that I want to shoot at the end of the year, but it's like, Am I going to be able to shoot a movie at the end of this year? Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. It's very hard to be motivated right now to work on stuff like that. So I think I'm going to start reading sure. way more now because, like, what else am well, I going to do Well, someone who days? also um, is uh, mildly employed at any given moment because I'm also freelancing, uh, I have noticed that you all, if you can just find a thing, do that thing, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the day because you told yourself you were <laughs> yep. going to do that thing and it's done. And that thing exactly. could be like, exactly. oh man, my chair has sucked for the last three months, but I've been working. Now I'm going to get a new chair or I'm going to fix my chair. It could be yeah. something yeah. as menial as that. So uh, now everyone's trying to find that thing to do today so that they don't feel terrible when they're right. binging fucking, you know, the OA, if that's even still on Netflix. <laughs> so it's interesting. Everybody feels mildly employed right now, even if they still have a full-time job. So uh, uh, take that, you yeah. fucking idiots, if you're listening to this. It's what we deal with on a daily basis, motherfucker. You got Family Guy on Hulu, uh, man. so if you ever were really looking for something to do, there's about 18 seasons. Yeah, really Guy. looking for something. So, what's your guys' favorite episode of Family Guy, just off the rip? <laughs> I don't have a favorite episode, but I, I love that scene where Peter gives Chris a frog, but he yeah. poked holes in it. Yeah. So it's dead, and then he flings it at the window, and it gets stuck to the window, and he has to scrape it off yep. the fucking window. Yep, that is classic. a classic. Excellent yep. shit. Very good. I wasn't allowed, I was allowed to watch The Simpsons, but not Family Guy, so I really don't have the kind of affinity or, like, a place in my kind of heart or my memory for Family Guy like I do for, like, basically every episode of classic Simpsons. All right. So, like, my quarantine viewing has been watching this, like, having The Simpsons on in the background while I'm working from home with, like, the commentary tracks on. It's basically like a podcast. It's really nice, honestly, I guess, to be honest with you. It's way more wholesome then i'm gonna assign you your favorite family guy episode now though um, i'm gonna bestow upon you your favorite episode is where it's one of the weirder serious ones where brian and stewie get locked in a bank vault and it's like a two-man play and brian literally ends up eating stewie's dirty diaper so that's your favorite episode of family guy hell okay, yeah maybe i'll watch great. it afterward i like the sound of that one that's not even a fucking lie that's a real episode of family guy ladies and gentlemen 
Um, what podcasts have you guys been consuming during quarantine? Have you guys been consuming podcasts at all? Yes. I know Carter. Uh, is, yeah. Great question. Uh, I've been listening to Street Fight Radio, as always. Uh, that's how I know Mason, is because we're fans of Street Fight Radio. And I've also been listening to a ton of Behind the Bastards, which is a podcast I really love, which is just that about... That podcast rocks. Yeah, it's just about the bastards of history. Um, wow. And they just talk that's about awesome. the worst people in human history, and it's very funny and very good. And you've been listening to It's on the List, uh, available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Sure it's weird you didn't I mention sure that first, but I'll let it slide. Mason, what are you listening to? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, me, I'm listening to mostly uh, Blank Check episodes, this nice. podcast, and uh, yeah. Street Fight Radio, sometimes Behind the Bastards, but also Minion Death Cult. That's another great... Oh, uh, Minion Death Cult rolls. That's a great podcast. Yeah. It's about like the online right and uh, how just... Uh, it, it's good. Tony and Alexander are good boys. They're on Carter's podcast. Nice. and. Uh, yeah, check that one out. Yeah, first. they're good friends. I, I've only been listening to edited versions of this podcast where it's just my voice and me laughing at my own jokes. That's the <laughs> only thing I've been listening to. And honestly, uh, the gun is Very loaded, good. ladies and gentlemen. The gun is loaded and it is available to go off at any given moment. But the, the, the Mamma Mia yes, chef. Mamma Mia chef and there's a big old yeah. sticking out of the sticking out of the revolver. Yeah, yeah. out of the gun. <laughs> All right. All right. So this has been uh, this has been the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Everybody knows exactly what we think about pieces of media. Welcome to the show. Yep. The show, but uh, uh, we're gonna, so let's talk about the at album first, if that's cool with you, Carter. Yeah. So, you yeah, yeah. Give us a little yes. bit of a preview of this album, because as much as I'd like to be able to give a preview myself, I really don't think I could do it justice the way you can. So okay. So. Why is a band that at its core is a two-piece made up of two brothers, Josiah Wolf and Yoni Wolf? Josiah plays all of the percussion for Why, and Yoni sings and plays a lot of different instruments in the band. And on top of that, they rotate a ton of other uh, musicians in and out of the lineup as needed. Um, they are in, I guess, what they got considered as when they were kind of coming out was like an indie rock slash hip-hop outfit. Oh, wow. They're kind of rappers, but not really. Yeah. Like Yoni raps, but like not in a way that like I would at all consider traditional hip hop. Um, and I and I would also say he's one of the only like white guy rappers who is not like completely cringy sure. and obnoxious. Yeah, he, um, no, not not no cornball stuff here. Like do you, you yeah, hear well, about white I mean, rappers? There's, there's, yeah, yeah. Well, because the the whole thing about his approach is that he kind of has just completely invented his own lyrical style yeah. and he's not trying to like steal from like black hip hop artists or anything like that. Like he doesn't really try to like use like vernacular or just like pose as something other than what he is. Yeah. In fact, his lyrics are yeah. very confessional and very authentic. And that's at the core of what makes um, him one of my favorite lyricists of all time. And what makes why one of my favorite bands is that they make this music that is is you know deeply personal, deeply confessional, but also has this sort of rich layering of imagery and metaphor to you know create these you know, sort of otherworldly uh, soundscapes that I, that just um, to this day baffle me. I've listened to this album since I was sixteen years old, and um, it is my one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, the album that we're talking about is, is Alopecia. Um, it is their sort of magnum opus. They've had a lot of really great records, but this record in particular just blows my fucking mind to this day. Um, I've never heard anything like it. 
Um, when I heard it as a teenager, it kind of set my brain on fire <laughs> and like made me start thinking about creativity in entirely new and exciting ways. Um, it's it's a it's a very special album, and I'm very excited to hear what you guys think about it. What was how did it come into your life? Like you're 16 years old and you're listening to music, and all of a sudden one day you get this album. Basically, so so you know I had a bunch of friends who were really into music in high school. Um, we were you know honestly hipster douchebags is the only nice. way you can really describe it. Just like people trying to find the most obscure stuff possible and share it around and sort of you know getting off yeah. on something being obscure and everything like that. But this whether album it was good or not, it, it was it yeah, was obscure. yeah. There was a lot of there was a lot of garbage that kind of got passed around as just like oh well you know nobody knows about this and and all that kind of bullshit. But like this album, what happened with it that was so funny was my friend Colin found it and he started sharing it with people. And every single time it would like pass from one person to the next in our friend group, you would like hear a song on it and initially you would hate it. Sure. And I I remember mm-hmm. I heard two different songs on this album and I was like what the fuck is this? And then I heard Fall of Mr. Fitz, which is like halfway through the album. And it was like some switch just like flipped in my head. And all of a sudden I was like, this is fucking amazing. And from there I went back and listened to the songs and suddenly they made sense to me and I really liked them. And before you knew it, I was just listening to this album constantly. There was probably like a five year period where I listened to this album at least once a week, if not Damn. more. Um, like I, yeah, when I was first, so like I was 16 and I was first like driving around by myself and everything. Uh, this was the only album I listened to when I would drive and especially like late at night listening to this album. It is just a perfect album for like driving by yourself. Um, Where were you driving to at 16 years old? Cause when you're first getting able to drive, you have access to a car, you go to some either real dumb as shit places or some really like dangerous places. So where were you going? My friend, I was actually mostly, I would pick up my high school girlfriend from her parents' house and we would drive around and we would like listen to this album and just like go literally nowhere just to have the excuse to drive and just like hang out and everything like that. And would literally, and this is embarrassing, but whatever, fuck it. Um, we would go to like random church parking lots and hook up. Yes, and, that's and what I'm car. fucking talking All about. All right, baby. there you go. And yeah, like that's that's what there was because I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is the evangelical capital of the world. So there are churches Whoa. just fucking everywhere, which means there's just empty. You love parking to see lots. it. You know that town's having a real normal. Oh, I don't even <laughs> right. I have I have not wanted to ask my mom what the local news has been like in Colorado Springs, because I'm sure it's awful. Probably really cool and yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, when, when, this is, this is an, uh, an anecdote, but um, this is a sidetrack a good bit, but it's also related. Um, when I was driving around listening to this album all the time, the city council had been completely taken over by far-right libertarians Hell who yeah. were trying to slash the city's budget <laughs> oh, yeah. any way that they could. And so one of the ways that they were slashing the budget is they were turning off streetlights as much as possible, like ones that they deemed unnecessary. So literally every third streetlight in the entire fucking city was just getting shut off, and it would just routinely get shut off at parts of the night to save money. So I was driving through the town, and literally I had this such a clear memory of listening to, I want to say, Brook and Waxing off of this album – and fucking just mm-hmm. driving under lights as they're turning off. 
And wow. that is my what it was like to grow up as a teenager in my hometown, in a nutshell. That's um, pretty rad, rad yeah, actually, yeah, it was, if you ask me. That's pretty It cool. was fucking surreal. It was all fucking strange. Um, Not only were there uh, fucking church parking lots, but there was a lot of fucking going on in church parking lots is what it yeah, sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me yeah, tell you. We love that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a weird way to to be a teenager. And yeah, um why I went on tour with this album uh last year uh cuz it was oh no, in 2018 cuz it was the 10-year anniversary of this album coming out and I saw them right. perform the entire album from top to bottom live and wow. it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. It was it was just fucking extraordinary. They are unlike any other band I've ever seen live. Josiah the drummer is like a jazz trained drummer. And the things that he can do with, like, keeping multiple rhythms going simultaneously and, like, drumming completely different rhythms with two hands is just unfucking real to see live. Um, it's beautiful. And then, yeah, like, on top of that, Yoni's just a really powerful performer. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the long and short of why I am so obsessed with this album and why it's so special to me. That's the long and short of why. Yeah. What, do you, yeah. what do you think, Mason? What do you, what do you, what do you think about Alopecia? What were your, what were your takes away? Takeaways. <laughs> so I really, 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 uh, like this album. And I'm really happy that Carter brought it on the podcast because I would not, I don't know if this would have ever crossed my path had it not been for Carter Moon and his like kind of obsession over it. Um, and the band that was coming to my mind that I was listening that when I was listening to that, it kind of reminded me of, which is interesting because it's not the only, I'm going to say it. And then if you're familiar, it's going to sound weird, I think, but I want to try to explain my thought process of it. But I was listening to this and it really reminded me of the band pile. Oh, no, no, huge pile. No, I feel that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not a huge Pile fan. I listened to them a lot at one point last year because I was trying to uh, I was trying to uh, uh, impress and hang out with a girl who was a really big Pile sure. fan. Sure, hell yeah, dude. Uh, and she actually met her now current boyfriend at a Pile show. Uh, oh, <laughs> sure. But we're cool. Oh, how the tables no, turned cool. on you. This is just how it happens. Time, yeah, right? Uh, I just bought a book off of her off of Instagram. So, you know, things are cool. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, but I was thinking this, and the thing, the the sort of circle of the Venn diagram is kind of what you were talking about, where it's just like, there, it's hard, so hard to find these, I think, very specific kind of music artists. Um, it's maybe a little easier with film or literature, where it's so um, based around, like, how we think about film and how we think about uh, uh, books is, like, the author. Like, there's an author thing that sure. you a name onto it. But when you're looking at an album, it's like you either think of a band or it's like you're going to be either drawn or, or repulsed by like the first thing that you see before you listen to any of the music, which is like an album cover sure. or whatever you, you know, listen, I don't know what it would have been like had I just heard like a Y song in the wild. Like if I had a similar thing to what you sure. had, which was, um, you know, like friends sharing this around, basically. Right. I don't know what my reaction would have been because it's just like so far away from anything that I think I could have found on my own, just like on my own searching. Uh, And that being said, like, I just, I just really just kind of adored this album for kind of what it is. And I really, 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 really like it. Hell yeah. Uh, That's all I got to say. Noah, how do you feel about why alopecia? Oh, it's fucking awesome. (laughs) It is fucking awesome. Like literally let's look, let's, let's pull up the track list here. So pulling up. Oh, I got it right here. uh, I got it right here as well. Um, when the vowels part two comes on, 
you know that you're gonna get excited because <laughs> yes. yes, there is. I I don't know the band Pile at all, so I'm unfamiliar with that comparison. But in a weird way, and I you are gonna be mad at me that I'm able to squeeze this band into this episode again. But it does for me sound like a weird combination of Cake and Weezer, and you have like hmm. lyrically a lot of like interesting things going on that don't necessarily sound like either, but the way that no. the lead singer is singing, it's kind of reminds me of the way that the guy in cake is singing yeah. and just the way that some of the guitars sound and the way that songs build to places mm. that you don't expect remind me sure. a lot of like both early Weezer. And this came out in 2008 and I believe the red album either came out the same year or 2009. And I have mm. to think that rivers was listening to this album a little bit because the greatest man who ever lived or whatever the name of that song is off the, uh, it's the second track um, hmm. off. Yeah. Well, what yeah. is that song called? I'm looking it up right now. Well, the interesting thing about that particular Weezer song is it is like variations on a shaker melody because without like knowing that it exists, he like kind of took the melody for the song simple things, which is like a shaker hymn. Shakers are like a, like kind of a Midwest or West, like, kind of Pennsylvania area, like religious sect. Mm. As long as is a gift to be simple, it's a gift. And we played that song a band. Um, and I love that there's little drop. Yeah. There's a little drop here. I like what you said. I also, Carter, here's my question. Mm. Uh, do we know how Thomas Seredarian feels about why? Yeah. This is very, this is a very gecky. Album. Yeah. Yeah. He actually really, he likes this album. Yeah. It's on his, his list of, uh, rate your music albums that are good. Um, he doesn't, he's not as obsessed with it as I am by any means, but we have talked about he it. Has a gex. Bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they're a funny band because like, um, I think I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a funny thing because it's like, I was at like exactly the right point in my life for like every lyric on this album to be like deeply profound to me. And, like, mean a lot to me and everything. Like, a lot of the sort of, like, brooding about, like, life and death and, like, what it means to, like, love somebody but also be, like, fucked up or whatever um, is, is stuff that really resonated with me when I was, like, 16. Nice. Um, and, like, I don't, like, and I'm, and I'm curious, like, how the lyrics hit you guys sort of as adults and everything like that, and if they still were striking and interesting to you. And as, and what you think of his voice, because a lot of people think Yoni's voice is annoying as fuck. You want to take that first, Mason? I mean, that was the thing that kind of... The first time I was just like... the I usually try to do two run-throughs of an album, depending on the time that I have and the length, at least two. First time, just kind of to, just to get the sense sure. of like the sound and the kind of vibe. Second time, more for the lyrics. Sure. And yeah, I didn't take note of specific lyrics, but I, there were a couple times we're listening where I'm like, Oh, like this is just like a guy in his, like kind of a, like, uh, uh, I don't want to say scumbum, eh, maybe scumbum, but just kind of like uh, a, a guy in his early, mid to late twenties. that's just like really down on his luck and just kind of like failing through, uh, failing right. through his life right. almost in a way as you do during this time. And so I was listening to it and I was really like, this stuff feels really like relevant to at least my kind of experience and emotional state. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's those albums and movies and stuff that it came to me when I was younger that I listened to now. I'm like, Oh, this is just really preparing me for the rest of my life. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. But this is just kind of coming to me and it's just like, Oh, like I understand this and I'll come back to this in a couple of years and be like, damn, remember when I was nostalgic, like and had nostalgia for this kind of, point of my life yeah uh, absolutely in a weird way absolutely yeah no what do you think 
Sucking dick for drink tickets at the free bar at my cousin's bar mitzvah. Cutting the punchline that ain't it, that it ain't no joke. Devoid of all hope, circus mirrors and pot smoke. Picking fights on dyke night with Shirley's and Locks, Lokes, Lokes, Locks, and snatching purses. Doing Elton at karaoke and forgetting all the s. Blowing kisses to distended bitches, playing lead lay in a bad way on Broadway. Sending sexy SMSs to my ex's new man because I can. That is fucking awesome. That is the second track on the album, Good Friday. (laughs) That, I mean, the lyrics is one of the things that immediately jumped out to me. It's like, these guys are, this is going to be, this is a bad sentence to say in 2020, but these guys Mm. are white and they're proud. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, these guys are so okay with being dorky and who they are. Yeah. It's awesome. And that's the thing that just shines through. Well, and it's the, it's the thing of like, it's why, like, I think compared to so much other, like, white rap stuff that gets really sort of cringy very quickly and very corny very quickly, like, it, this is, like, a guy who's, like, using sort of stuff that he learned from, you know, listening to hip-hop, but then he, he very much sort of, like, mixes it in with, like, all of these other influences because um, the thing about Yoni and Josiah that's very interesting is their dad is a rabbi. Nice. And um, their mom is an art history professor, And, like, so they just grew up, like, steeped in, like, a lot of, like, different, you know, sort of spiritual traditions and practices. And they bring some of the music that they learned uh, from, like, playing music at their dad's temple um, into what they play uh, and how they arrange their songs. Um, And then on top of that, like, they just, like, like, Yoni, like, I've listened to his podcast a good bit. And, like, he just, like, reads constantly. He just, like, absorbs art at, like, an absurd level. And so he's, like, taking influences from all kinds of different weird places. So, like, he's not just, like, you know, fucking trying to mimic somebody else or any specific, like, artist who exists. He's taking from so many different influences. And I think that just means, like, even though he's kind of rapping, he's doing it in his own way and he's owning it so completely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I was at a uh, – when, when Gems was making the rounds in theaters, when when you could still go to a theater when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> they had a screening of it at the Arclight and Josh, Benny, Adam Sandler, and Ronald Bronstein were there doing a little Q&A. Uh, and yeah. someone asked them a question basically being like, what movies – were you influenced by? And I think Josh, I think it was Josh who answered primarily. And he was like, you know, to be honest with you, we weren't really, really influenced by any real movies in particular. We were mainly influenced by photography and paintings and like the people that live and work in that district. And I have to think it might be the same thing for these guys. Whereas yes, they're probably were influenced, you know, by music. That's probably the reason why they are fucking doing it in the first place. You have to believe on this just because of how eclectic sounding it is that their main influences probably weren't other musicians. It probably was chanting at temple with their father. Who's a rabbi, you know, art history books that their mom had laying around, you know, the experiences that they have as a kid, you know, just growing up. How old were they when they made this album? They were, they were mid twenties. They were like 25, 26. Um, I think, I think Josiah is a little older, but like, yeah, Yoni, like Yoni is born. Yeah. I'm looking at his, as Wikipedia right now, Yoni is, uh, was born in 79. So this came out when he was 29. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And his brother's a little older. He had like, he has like tons of chronic health issues and he actually had had mm. alopecia. Um, oh, wow. wow. In the time that he was writing this album. That's why it's called that. And like, 
he'd like been in love with this woman and like it had all completely fallen apart and gone like horrifically wrong. If their album that came out before this, Elephant Eyelash, kind of gets into it as well. He writes, um, there's a song called Gemini that's like one of the most like beautiful, like heartbreaking songs about like a relationship just kind of crumbling in on itself. Um, oh, I should listen to that right it's, now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because Alopecia is by far my favorite album by them, but Gemini might be their best song uh, ever. Um, it's, it's just a fucking masterpiece. Um, and yeah, like he'd, he'd gone through a lot and there's a lot of darkness that you can hear on this album as a result. Cause like his health was failing really badly. I know he has uh, Crohn's. Um, that's the song to mm, buy torpedo or sure. Crohn's on this album. Um, and he's like, and he like has just constantly kind of fought against like his body failing him in so many different ways and sort of like, feeling like, um, you know, one way or another, he's, like, doomed to, like, wreck his relationships. And he's really good at, like, taking those sort of specific experiences and the dark thoughts that sort of come up from them and channeling it into music that I think is just absolutely beautiful. Like, I think especially, like, when it all sort of channels and it sort of builds on this album to something like Fatalist Palmistry, which is just, to me, this, like, fucking joyful exuberant song that sort of just is this like burst of clarity that comes out of like intense, intense darkness. Um, there's something that is, there's a huge relief to that to me. Yeah. Fatalist palmistry is my number one. I think. Yeah, no, it's, it was the one I'm looking at the Wikipedia too, for this album right now. And it was the one that like pitchfork recognized as like one of the best hundred songs of 2008 and stuff like that. Like, uh, it's the, it's the one that everybody pretty much immediately hears and loves from this album. Um, it's the most sort of accessible, but it's it's just a fucking incredible song. For me, I think it's got to be uh, Fatal, uh, Simeon's Dilemma. I think track twelve. Yeah, that song's amazing. That's yeah. I think that's yeah, probably that's, my favorite. I you know to be honest with you, this is an album that I actually uh, took a page out of the Mason playbook, and I actually did listen to this one twice. Uh, I don't normally, <laughs> but I did listen to this one <laughs> twice, and I, it was because. I didn't feel like I could penetrate it the first time. Mm, Whereas I feel like sometimes I am able to, I'm not obviously getting all the answers, but I feel like I got enough to talk about it. Whereas this one, I'm like, fuck, I don't even, what am I supposed to say about this? You know? So I did listen to it a second time. And Simeon's dilemma is the one that really stood out for me. Not only as just like, like a really interesting musical song, but like, it literally it, in the title of the song, it's addressing a problem. You know, he's he's yeah. having he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, and yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know any person on the face of the planet that can't relate to being between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. So yeah. right, no, I, yeah. uh, and I, I think I think like I've learned so much about like storytelling from Yoni Wolf too over the years. Like I've learned yeah. so much about like how to like in a few lines like create like just such a like powerful image of like this is the situation I'm in like these few presidents was the one that really like taught me a lot as like a teenager about like writing effectively of like at your house, the smell of two human bodies in oven gas, um, uh, you, two first names and an ampersand embroidered proudly on a kitchen towel. You prayed to nothing out loud. Um, it just like, it creates such a specific mood and such a specific feeling so quickly of sort of like catching up with this person who you love, who's now dead and like sort of trying to like remember some aspect of them and like, being desperate to have them back, but not being able to do anything about that. Um, now that they're gone, um, it just, it's, it's, um, there are, there are so many sort of like conflicting and contradictory feelings that he's able to explore 
and he's able to just get like very internal and very much walk you through his like personal thought process while also simultaneously in a, making something feel very like universal and very relatable and as though you've experienced these things as well you know he's writing it very much as like a guy in his like late 20s who's going through all these things but i related to it so much when i was like 16 or 17 and had had none of these experiences that he had had and i think that's why this album continues to resonate with me as i get a little older is that like okay i've lived some of these things that he's talking about now i've lived some of these like heartbreaking like adult relationships that suddenly just fall apart and stop working and stuff like that. And it almost makes everything better. Um, It's it's full of rich texture. It's full of wisdom. It's full of insight. I got to recommend this album. Like absolutely. Even if you don't like it, it's worth listening to all the way through just to say, I listened to it and I fucking hate it, but I don't think you're going to (laughs) fucking hate it guys. I think you're going to like it. I think that there definitely is, and I think this is going to be probably an album that I, I come back to. I'm so glad uh, to hear that. Just, yeah, and I, I just just because the first two times I thought were so rich, and I can just kind of, from this discussion and from Carter's kind of enthusiasm about it, I know that it's just going to uh, uh, show, like, just reveal more of itself as more time goes on. But, yeah, big time reco for me. Very cool. Uh, Carter, how do you feel about this album again? <laughs> uh, obviously, um, I'll just say, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I'm planning to get the album cover tattooed on my thigh. If we ever get to hey. leave our houses again, uh, I'm going to spend probably, you know, $600 getting this, this gorgeous album cover <laughs> that, tattooed on my spend thigh. Spend that Trump um, check on a Y tattoo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where my Trump check is going, let me tell you. Carter the thighs. Moon did what he did, and he got his tattoo on his body. Then he died. Carter the Moon got his body tattooed, and then he died. Which is a reference to a song on the album, so you gotta listen yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on yes. to the movie yes. of the week. Yes. I just want to yes, say, yes, listen, yes, okay, yes, yes. yeah, it's in the loop. We're talking about Armando Iannucci's in the loop. Uh, Carter brought on. Uh, the album, no problem. He just knew exactly what yeah. he wanted to talk about. Yeah. And uh, a little peek behind the production curtain here. Mason and I have a little list going, uh, each ourselves of movies and albums that we both want to talk about. It's a pretty fairly good sized list at this point. Yeah. We've I've been adding to it. Carter, we were mentioned to Carter. Carter, if you don't know the movie that you want to talk about, uh, we are more than happy to share with you a list of things we want to talk about. If there's anything on there that strikes your fancy, you know, please feel free to choose that. Out of fucking everything on that list, you had to pick In the Loop, which is uh-huh. just my mortal yes, enemy of a film. Yep. And yep. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And I knew, because Mason and I were talking about it. He was literally like, God, we got to get In the Loop on this thing. We got to do In the Loop. And I'm thinking, yep. oh boy, it's hour 45. I'm never going to get back when we watch yeah. this. Uh, turns out, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> so we're here, and uh, we're going to fight. We're fighting right now. So that's okay. a little peek behind the production curtain. That's how it goes sometimes. And uh, let's say, let's, yeah, what, what, what about this movie made you want to talk about it? I knew it would be relevant to right now. I knew, like, as we're currently watching our government shit the bed and fail to respond to a crisis, I knew this movie in particular was going to, like, fit the mood perfectly. And I thought it did. Like, you know, uh, I, I'm i very curious to get into why exactly you don't like Armando Iannucci's stuff, Noah. Um, it's one I can I can understand in theory why somebody wouldn't. Um, but I just, I do think, like, what he does so effectively is like really great for understanding like why our politics are so fucked um, and why it just feels like it's impossible to 
get anything done when uh, politicians are the way that they are. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why I wanted to get into it. Hell yeah. I, uh, I, I'm very happy that Carter picked this. We have been talking about this a lot because friend of the podcast, Rocky Pajarito, wants to bring on I Heart Huckabees, and I'm like, we can't talk about I Heart Huckabees until we talk about In the Loop. <laughs> and, uh, uh, other friend of the podcast, <laughs> Thomas Saradarian, brought on Death of Stalin, which is Armando yeah. Iannucci's latest effort. And on that podcast, literally... The second most recent effort, he has another movie, actually. It's oh. like a David Copperfield movie with Dev Patel that I have not seen yet. But cool. it's apparently interesting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about that on the fucking pod. Eventually. I'm sure that's going to happen. I'm sure Noah's going to have to sit through This it. is the Armando Iannucci pod. Yeah. yeah. Now. Fuck that. This is, this Fuck is that. Welcome to freaking yeah. Thunderdome, baby. Yeah. Um, Mason, what's your fucking history with this movie? Okay. So, little backstory. 2008, 7, 9, whenever this movie comes out. Comes out in 2009. I am, uh, I am reading... For whatever reason, uh, well, not for whatever reason, for specifically the reason of reading the movie reviews from Peter Travers, I have a subscription to Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, do you like Peter I don't know Travers? why Peter, I do not. I don't know why middle school me thought that, that was going to be my guy. But yeah, I just, he sucks. You that when I, you're in middle school, you attach yourself yeah. to a critic. Yeah. And it was just because I think it's mostly because he uh, is he's the guy whose name is just like everywhere on like the ads back in the day and so sure. it's like this is just i gotta get on top i gotta get on top of the travers reviews he seems to be the tastemaker I got, around these you parts. gotta see the travers reviews <laughs> Fuck him. so he mentioned so he uh reviewed this movie that i had not heard of and he had called it like a great satire the best satire since dr strange love as it says want he's a little bit hyperbolic yeah um but uh they kind of stuck in my craw Years go by, it's 2016, the first time that we think, uh, the last time we thought there was ever going to be a weird political moment was in 2016. I am still on Twitter, I am listening to the podcast Chapo Trap House, and those guys were really into the movie and the loop, and so I'm like, I'm going to finally check this out. And I watched it, and I had not known that Armando Iannucci was involved in it at all, I think I had watched the first two seasons of Veep at that point. Um, but nothing after that. So I like know who Armando Iannucci is and I watch it and I, I am in LA at this point and I love this movie. And then I watch most of, uh, most of the thick of it, which is the kind of TV show that Malcolm Tucker originated on and is sort of the prequel ish or like side universe kind of TV show to the thick of it, uh, or, uh, to end the loop. Then I rewatched it a couple, about maybe a year and a half or so ago. I don't know, it's on Letterboxd, just because I had the itch, the hankering to rewatch In the Loop. Uh, and then I watched it again for this podcast. Uh, Jesse Armstrong, I want to say, who's a writer, uh, who's a writer on the on the thick of it, and is one of the four credited writers on this movie, is the creator of the show Succession, which is a really good show, and I like a lot, and can't wait for it to come back. Uh, that's kind of all my, my piece on this movie. Uh, and I will just, so <laughs> Noah, you seem to have the strongest opinion on this movie in the other direction from where Carter and I are in. And I just, I want you to say your piece on Armando Iannucci just so that we get it for the record there again and we can move forward. Okay. So we talked about, um, I just am boiling over with rage right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck was the death of Stalin? We talk about death of Stalin with Thomas and uh, I watched that and I'm like, okay, fucking waste of time here with death of Stalin. Don't give a shit. I listen. I don't think it's funny at all. I don't think it's funny. 
I can get why someone would think it's funny. I don't, I, it is so absurd. Me, I sit there, like, literally, I have, like, an out-of-body experience when I'm watching these movies, where, like, I'm watching myself watch the movie. I'm frowning. I'm not laughing at all. I'm not smiling. I'm, like, pissed off. Like, I'm, like, wish I was doing literally anything else. And I'm, like, I'm talk about it on the pod. God damn it. You know, Thomas hates that I hate Death of Stalin. And I knew from there on out, they had, you guys have found one of my big Achilles heels, which is British there you comedy. Go. And I knew it was going to be fucking attacked like a like an asthmatic kid on the playground. I just knew <laughs> that, you guys, that this podcast would find a way to just Hulk mode me into the game. So I luckily don't have to think about it ever again until you of all people, Mr. Carter Moon, decide well, we're going to in the loop on this episode. So, well, hold on. Before that, I had actually tried to give Succession a, a chance, and I think it has an amazing pilot episode. I love the pilot episode of Succession. I think it's fantastic. And then one, the second episode hits. Adam McKay is not involved at that point forward. He's still an executive producer, but like, you know, he directed the pilot. As soon as that second episode hits, I feel that arrow come back in my knee and I'm or in my Achilles. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to finish this. Oh, fuck, dude. And I am just so done. I don't get, I watched okay. two more episodes. Hold on, hold on. I've watched two more episodes and I say, fuck this. I don't like this show. And then, of course, when we're scheduling this episode right now, what we're doing right this second you said you wanted in the loop. I own a copy of it on DVD. It says it's a blockbuster yes. exclusive. That's how old this DVD Bless is. Bless up, Chef. Bless up, I Chef. I pop that in the PS4. 15 minutes in, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stick these arrows that are in my Achilles right in my fucking <laughs> eyes so I don't have to watch this movie anymore. I don't think it's funny. I don't think British comedy, for the most part, is funny. And I really am glad that we're running out of the Armando Yudici things to watch on the pod because if we oh, get to the point, more. no, no, there's you not. Can watch four if lines. we get to the point you can where we're doing four lines. where we're doing the thick of it, if we do the fucking David Copperfield movie on the pod, <laughs> you might have to find a guest host for that week, buddy. Who? So listen, we can do some. Th- I'll try to get you around on, t- on like the day to day or something Chris Morris related. That might be more your speed, but <laughs> thank you for that. The, chef. It was just, very instructive. Watching yeah. watching these things just I li- I feel like a I'm like not invited to the party. I have to like watch the party through the window because I know yeah, that it's one of those things where I should be laughing because that's yeah. the joke. That's the joke that's yeah. happening. And I don't think it's funny at all. Yeah. And I understand well, I mean, that. I recognize that's, that's, It's the funny. That's, that's how I feel watching sports most of the time. Like, I get I'm supposed to be excited about this thing, but I, I'm not feeling it. Like, like that's, that's, I know that alienating feeling very well. Um, and, yeah, there's, I mean, most Marvel movies are that way, too, where it's like, I know I'm supposed to be excited about this, but I'm just not feeling it. So what we can all that. agree I, on, though, is that Michael Moore, the heist, is probably the best white rap album of all time, right? <laughs> that, I was looking it up. I had to make sure I got it right. But, yeah, fuck. That album's fucking good, guys. Uh, but, no, that alienating feeling of, like, it's kind of how I felt about uh, currently canceled filmmaker Woody Allen pre him being mm. canceled, is that I was watching, like, his very early stuff, like, Bananas and stuff like that. And I'm like, I understand that there's jokes here, but I'm really not laughing at this. Like, I actually find this very yeah. unfunny. Um, yeah. no, 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 okay. We're going to go down a quick rabbit hole. There's a couple of Woody Allen movies I like, but that's as far as I'll go. Um, yeah, but, sure. uh, yeah, that's how I feel about when I'm watching these British comedies. There are, again, 
it's not all British comedy, but it's damn near most of them that I've come across in my life, especially mm. the popular stuff where I'm like, whew, buddy, I need, a, I need a break. I need to sit on the bench and drink some Gatorade after that one. <laughs> so, so, so I think, I think it, you're hitting a, a very interesting point here, which is that it feels like it's mostly like an, a cultural thing that is like just not clicking with you. Totally. It's preventing you from, from getting this. And I get that. I think that that's valid. Is and it's the, also the, like the sheer nastiness of it that you don't respond to Noah. Um, Cause everybody I, in I, these is very, very nasty. I, yeah. I don't know if it's the sheer nastiness. It just, it is one of those things where their sensibilities of how, I guess maybe the nastiness, but I guess it's just their sensibilities about everything. Like the yeah. British sensibility of like, this is funny. And then therefore the character's sensibility of, this is what I'm going to do right now. It just is like, so misses the target with me. Like I, mm. I just, it's like nails on a is it, is it that you don't, you don't respond to sort of what their motivations are, or like why they're doing what they're doing, what, what sort of like drives them. Um, I think it's to the point where the types of it's more, I think has to do with like the create, like the like creator side of things where it's like, sure. This is what I'm going to write these characters to do. It's sure. that aspect of it where I'm like, okay. Does it, does it, it feel, that, is that what feels alien? It's the, the, the sort of people behaving in ways that make no sense to you. People um, sort of uh, making decisions and choices and saying things in a way that you don't relate to at all. I think, I think Carter's winding up to a point right here. <laughs> yeah. 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 I maybe maybe, but I, it's not, I, I don't even think it's that personally. I think for me, it's just wanting to be invited to this party where I know mm. so well that I'm going to hate the party when I walk yeah. in because I don't respond to these. Jo- I literally, it's like these yeah. situations are happening. I understand that this is supposed to be a joke and it just is like so against what I want to be doing right now in that moment. Interesting. So Interesting. I understand yeah, no, that these it- people are like hard to like, these people are operating on such a low, you know, level of brain function. You know, that's like the whole point is that these people are. Yeah. Fucking well, ridiculous. it's, it's it, what I think is what I, what I really like about Ianucci is that all of his characters are nasty and brutish and mean but I, 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 the, the, to me, the humor, what, what the real humor of it all and why it's so effective is that like, he's not saying that like all people are inherently like the people in his shows or in Death of Stalin or in, in the loop. It's, it's that like people who get involved in politics and especially the like careerists who work behind the scenes in politics exactly. are this exactly. way. And they are depraved in a very specific way. And they may be varying levels of intelligent or stupid, and they may like have varying impulses and desires, but they all sort of have this base need to sort of bite and stab each other in order to climb over each other for, for minuscule gains. And that shit to me yeah. is infinitely funny and infinitely entertaining. Um, I think... Yeah, Carter, you're you're you you kind of are getting right at the point that I want to just like start with is just that the thing that that strikes me about Ianucci and the thing that is I think it's also in Succession is that like the humor is not like a kind of jokey like fast paced kind of situational comedy. It's more like isn't it so scary and absurd that the people are in power can't stand each other and are forcing themselves to be around each other and work together and are only, and they all fucking hate each other and they all fucking hate each other. Yeah. And they all like, um, 
it, like nobody in this movie likes each other, but they're forced to be around each other because they're after, like you said, like a careerist kind of thing. Like the career is the thing for them and the career in politics, they don't have any like actual policy proposals and any policy that they make is going to be like, I think it, Malcolm Tucker has in the very first few minutes of this movie where it's like he's ne- Malcolm Tucker, who is kind of this like loud, shouty. He's the director of communications. That's right. So he's like the voice of like the kind of establishment and the sort of like he's all about the line. Right. He's all about the it, it's not about policy or helping people. It is like kind of making people operate within the, like making sure politicians operate in this very narrow field of. Um, Making sure um, everybody is behaving at all times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And it's, yeah, yeah. and and Noah, I can totally understand how, like, his sort of, like, game of insults isn't particularly, like, funny to you, and I can relate to that on a certain level. Like, I very rarely was, like, laughing out loud at him, like, getting creative with how he's, like, swearing at people. That's not what's, like, funny to me. What's funny is, like, the bigger situations that they all find themselves in and how they all sort of end up getting debased and humiliated in various ways as these people who are like inherently sort of selfish and awful as people. Um, I think inherently I do like that and it's done in such a way that is too, I can't describe it any other way than it's too British. It's too fucking British. I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to say. I literally am sitting here like, I just don't know what else to say. But it, I, yeah. I think inherently I do like that because I feel yeah. like the, the show The Office is a, a lot like that as well. Yeah. Or can the be. The British one? No, fuck well, that yeah, show. Yeah. The, 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 best points, the best points of The Office, I think, are similar to Ian Nucci's humor where it's like the real thing that's so funny is that like the person in charge is this debased and this idiotic, like totally. the, the thing, that, the real yeah. humor to me is it comes from, from that, like the, the, you know, fucking general in this movie is one of my favorite characters and is so goddamn oh, funny. God. Gandolfini, um, Gandolfini is so and good. Gandal- yeah. Movie. I think, I think he, I think his performance is fucking incredible, but I think it's like, it, it just, just the construction of that character. Who's just like, just driven by nothing but just sort of his own sort of like raw impulse and his raw ego. And he's sort of like talking about being a dove general and all this stuff. But like at the end of the day, like all of his weird behaviors and so much of the like posturing he does is just because he like, um, you know, uh, fucked Karen Clark 10 years ago and he's still dealing with the consequences of that or whatever. That doesn't get revealed (laughs) until the very end. So spoiler, I guess, but it's just sort of like, um, this like amazing thing of like like all of the like tension that these people have with each other, all of their like anxieties are all just based around like personal petty grievances and petty insecurities and not at all around like anything like meaningful or substantial. And that's why I think like Death of Stalin is so fucking great is that it goes to show that like when you have power concentrated, it doesn't really matter whether it's a capitalist system or a communist system. Just when you have like power concentrated in the hands of a few people, this is how people are going to be. When you give people this much power with not a whole lot of accountability, they're going to run away with it and they're going to do atrocious things. Um, and I think that understanding of people is amazing that, that Ianucci has. And what I love in just like the kind of just sheer plotting of this movie is just how it's you to kind of just maybe spoiler. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but you start off and they're trying at, at at all costs to prevent a war from happening. It starts off like the inciting incident is Simon Foster, who's this real like kind of wet sack of clothes of a politician mm-hmm. that um, says that war is unforeseeable and just um, 
and which is like out so like outside of the line like he went a- across the line right right by saying by not saying seeable or unforeseeable but just saying unforeseeable he sets off a yeah. horrific chain of events that that causes like at the end of the movie Malcolm Tucker and his his like aide Jamie or his like number 2 Jamie McDonald which is just I don't know, man. I love a scream and swearing Scotsman. It's not a thing that makes me laugh out loud, but I just love listening to Peter Capaldi. No, swear yeah, there's, there's a his 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 patter to me is just like very funny, and it's very like yeah. It's it's one of these things where like like I I totally understand not responding to it in the moment, but to me it is just sort of like artful to be able to like just ruthlessly insult people yeah. like that and stuff like that. And it's it's what I like about Veep. Just gonna say, at the end of the movie, they're trying their their best to, like, push the, the war measure vote through. Like, right. like <laughs> And what they do is really uh, barbaric and really... Uh, it's, it's terrifying because it's what actually happens, but it's also, like, in the span of an hour and 40 minutes, basically, you watch, like, an entire kind of ideology shift because it's what becomes suddenly very effective. Uh, and you see how, like, the people in power use the media and how the... Like, another thing that I love about this movie is just, like how everybody has some connection somewhere like Dan, yeah. uh, not Dan, Toby, uh, Chris Addison knows a guy, uh, like had a crush on, um, Liza Weld, uh, Anna Chlumsky and like brags to his buddy who works at CNN about like being on the war committee. And then all of a sudden CNN is reporting on the fact that there's a war committee right, about right. to happen. Like this, like yeah. this incredible domino effect of this cataclysmic domino effect. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no. Do you have any other thoughts? Do you have any other thoughts? Because I can just go off and read my favorite lines from this movie. Because I, t- I took notes. I love this. I Mason's love this Notebook. Lines here. My favorite bit on the show. Um, um, listen, if you like the movie, that's fine. If you don't like the movie like me, that's also fine. Um, I don't think it's funny. Uh, I don't think I actually like political satire maybe maybe that at least like in our current day and interesting age, uh i feel like it's almost impossible to satire something that is so uh much of a self-parody of itself anyway uh um, i think that's the th- yeah and i think that that might be what is at the root not working for me i think i may have mentioned this on the show before it's like when i went to go see phantom thread i thought oh man this is not going to work for me at all but the only reason i went is because it is Paul Thomas Anderson, but I don't care right. for British shit as, you know, as very clear of eyes of this podcast. Uh, I don't necessarily want, I didn't necessarily want to see a movie set in the world of fashion. And uh, I didn't necessarily want to see like a romance quote unquote, but when you all spin it up in a big blender called Paul Thomas Anderson, it comes out to be something really fucking awesome. And so that is an example of a movie stacking the deck against me, but me still coming out at the other side going, wow, I really enjoyed that. And it's actually a movie that I've come to enjoy more and more as time has gone on. But with something like this, that is a political satire that is very steeped in British sensibility and British humor. It's literally something that I think is insurmountable for me as a viewer. And you might call me a dumbass hick for that, but like that for me is kind of where I have to draw the line. And like I said, I think in a lot of ways, because of our current administration, the political satire for me is so not, it's not alien. It's, it's not alien or maybe it is alien. I'm not sure which way I should phrase it, but like, it's so crazy that, we have something worse, if not the same, in our current administration, that it's hard for me to go like, oh, isn't that funny? Where I'm like, oh, nope, that is what's happening. Okay. So. What I love in this movie is that in the, the two, like the th- kind of 
figure the three figureheads that we of American politics that we encounter in this movie. One is like a three-star general, James Gandolfini. The other is like as uh, an assistant sort of secretary, and the other is like the assistant assistant secretary, basically. You know, like these are all like kind of mid-level people, management level management level people, like that are doing the jobs that we that aren't like your like your Donald Trumps or your, your Steve Mnuchins or whatever. Like these are the people that are making the policies that are report, reporting to those people that are reporting up the ladder to like your your Trump your Trumps or whatever. Um, and those are like the, the craven careerists. Those are the ones that like, like the, the, the people that like Zach Woods is trying to be. And I think Zach Woods is really fucking funny in this movie. Just like a complete, like, uh, loser doofus, um, plays him like so well and so earnestly, but without like a sense of malice, but it's just like, so, um, is just so funny as just this guy who needs to be close to power to make himself feel powerful. Yeah. Um, and those guys are like, those people are the ones that like in the current system, the one that we have now that is currently collapsing. Uh, those are the guys that like end up as like senators or whatever. And what I love about this movie is that, and what I love about the British sensibility and they're like kind of, um, relationship to people in power that there's like no sort of like in, in the American in the American office like you know it starts off and Michael Scott is kind of a, a doofus asshole blowhard and then he eventually becomes like everybody's best friend basically and that's like his arc but there's no like kind of or like you know like in like the West Wing or something there's this reverence to people in power there's not really you don't see that as much in like it's this the British stuff that I have uh, taken in, you know, you don't, there's, it's, there's, they have a much more, uh, a nastier kind of relationship to people in power that I think is maybe a little healthier. I don't want to say 100% so. sure, but it feels like it's much more constructive at least. Yeah. I think, um, just anybody who wants to hold power, anybody, especially who is like super down to like have one of these, like backroom careerist things where like you're getting hired off of a resume and you're not getting elected and you're making moves just by like shaking the right hands to move up the ladder and things like that. These people are people we need to be much more aware of and pay much closer attention to. And we need to have more systems in place to hold them accountable. Because I think if you want to be that kind of person, you're a sociopath and you're probably not a good person and you probably don't have many, scruples to speak of um, because all you want is to be close to power in one way or another. All of these people in one way or another just want access and they want to feel important one way or another. And they don't really care how that happens. And exactly the thing that just makes me like admire Yanucci's work so much is that like he forces Americans, especially as we take in his stuff to recognize that we need to start like giving these people more shit and giving them hell in a way where like we actually sort of yeah. make them feel accountable to us in a more meaningful way because it makes you aware of the vast like labyrinthine networks of power that we just have no say in that we have no control over we don't get to like have any sense of like who these people are they they don't feel accountable to us in any meaningful way and at the end of the day they're all just like faulty human beings like the rest of us they're dumbasses who want to get drunk and have sex and be late to meetings like anyone else. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's even though, even though like you could kind of see like Inuji stuff as being sort of like callous or, uh, almost nihilistic to me, really what it is, is it's just sort of like pointing out that, you know, nobody should have this much, uh, leverage without any sort of, 
um, accountability. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love how he, in this movie, he contrasts the kind of American system of politics with the British where there's like uh, every sort of like British political office that we see in this movie is like so utilitarian and bland and beige and gray. And then you like go to America and there's like all this like kind of sheet, like kind of, like marble like this shiny marble and, this and the, the like and like wood panels, wood panels that like are way too climb the mountain well, of conflict yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the guy the guy who's literally like a glass office is for perverts and shit like that yeah. um yeah i love uh david rash's linton barwick i think was my favorite performance yeah he's Stover, very he fucking funny in succession yeah um and i love the line that peter capaldi has to him that he's like he's a boring psychopath yeah like, <laughs> i think it's such a great distillation of that kind of guy yeah um and uh, it's it's just so it's I I adore this movie I love it and I, to your point like I think that's what's so exciting to me about people like really catching on to Succession is it's like has this kind of like midway Amer- like it has a little more British sensibility towards people in power than your tip that you typically see on like an HBO or something where it is like keeping the Roy family kind of at an arm's length and just letting you see how like kind of sad and depraved they are that this money doesn't fix the kind of internal politics of being in a family uh i love it i love it so much uh but i man i i, I love this movie i mean that's i just, don't so recommend in the, the loop pod. but these guys do <laughs> thank you very um, much okay um <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah yeah no 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 i i did want to because i am i am very fascinated by like why somebody who's as funny as you are doesn't like this movie like doesn't respond to ianucci at all like i it's very very interesting to me um, it really does. Ultimately, I wish there was a smarter, more interesting yeah. explanation other than I don't think it's funny. And I don't sure. think it's funny because I like I was saying, you were in the restroom uh, during that. You were uh, squeezing the hog. <laughs> oh, but uh, what I said to what I said to our friend Mason here is that uh, it is so hard for me during this current administration to think of political satire as like interesting because of how fucking insane things already are. There is a sense of like, this can never top what is really going on, which I understand that these are about different things, but at the end of the day, it is a political satire. That is the political system that I am, you know, privy to. Uh, And obviously all political systems affect us one way or another, whether it's in America or not, but that's the one that I'm most privy to on a daily basis. Obviously we're fucking stuck inside. (laughs) So, you know, that's, (laughs) there's a system in place for that, but yeah, uh, you know, it really, and it just, and then, you know, I'm sure I find things funny that you guys literally and never in a million years would think is funny. I can't think of an example now because everything I think is funny. It's funny, but <laughs> um, you know, it's just literally just comes down to the fact yeah, that this doesn't yeah. fucking scratch my itch. So, and sometimes yeah, uh, I just I don't know. I I I found it so like gratifying to watch this this week in a weird way because it was like had you seen this before? I don't think we no we, no I hadn't it. watched it. I hadn't actually oh, really? watched it okay. before. Yeah yeah. So this was this was really rewarding because like. I don't know, like, you know some, like, dumb fuckery on the level of, like, saying unforeseeable at the beginning of the movie happened with ordering more coronavirus tests back in January, where the Trump administration couldn't make up its mind about whether or not they were actually going to order the tests. And it, you know it was just, like, similar bumble fuckery that led to now we don't have enough tests at all and we're overwhelmed. We're all stuck inside of our houses. Like, or like, or like some aid was like, just whispered in Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi's ear means test, like it checks. Right. Right. Well, we can't just send the checks out. Like somebody, 
some some low level staffer like put a report in Nancy Pelosi's hand saying like, well, no, 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 you can only give out five hundred fifty dollars a month, and this is why, and blow, and like it's only to married families. Like, you know, like somebody else was trying to like push the needle on their career just a little bit, and like didn't push for like the things that people actually need right the fuck now in an emergency and in a crisis. The reasons why like governments fail us have more to do with the fact that we allow like all of these dumbasses so much access and power that they don't really deserve. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 you know, I, I totally get, I totally respect your opinion, Noah. Um, Thank you, chef. But, uh, I respect your guys's as well. There we go. I respect you, Noah. I, I still respect. love you. I listen. I can't say the same about you, Mason. But <laughs> <laughs> I do respect your guys' opinions around it. And listen, you know, uh, I don't recommend it. It sounds like you guys do. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think especially now, if you're looking for something that I don't, I don't think this is a particularly comforting watch. You know, it's not something that you're going to put on just to like kind of get you through the 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 drudgery of your day to day now that you're inside. I do think that it might offer a lot of people a little glimpse into just the sort of basics of why everything is failing right now on such a spectacular level. Uh, And I think that that is useful that is useful for its own ends. And I think that that like its own ends, there's like an individual ends, you know, like I can see somebody watching this and just getting like really fired up and wanting to like kind of volunteer and organize. I can see some people watching this and despairing, you know, like I'm not going to say that this is going to be a thing that has a uniform response for people. Cause I think like we saw on the show, you know, some people just are not going to take to British comedy at all, just cause that's how they are. But I think some people are going to watch this and be like, something's going to spark and there's going to be some like kind of inkling of curiosity. And now people have the time to fucking read up and research shit. Um, so we'll see, man. I mean, I think that this is definitely a perfect movie for this moment. And I think that it's, it's kind of the fact that it's endured and is still relevant, um, to some degree is just means that kind of nothing has changed and now might be the time to change. And that hopefully there's a time soon when we can look back on this movie and be like, wow, this is insane that we let these people run this. Exactly. In our society. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, That's my piece on it. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Carter, where can people find you if they want to find you? Find me on Twitter at Carter D moon. Um, check out my podcast, big booking, uh, look into magazine. It's very Um, good. Yeah. Big booking is very good. I, I work very fucking hard on it, quite honestly, and it would mean a lot to me if people would check it out. Vague Booking is very good. Uh, my episode is episode seven, Facebook Memento. Mason's is unreleased uh, <laughs> and hopefully will come out very soon. But when it is, uh, we'll let you guys know. We'll share it. We'll give put that show uh, in go. the show notes and we'll give a little there link there. You can listen to uh, this podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. You can email us at everybody wants to number two, get on the list at gmail.com if you have questions, concerns. Uh, if you need a coronavirus test, do not email this show but you can yeah, email sorry. us if you want something else you can find me at Noah Narger on Twitter and Letterboxd and Noah at Noah.Marger D-O-T on Instagram at YLG.World uh, as well on Instagram and although there has been an absence of YLG content there will be some up very soon so get ready very good yay I've been missing YLG on my feeds Mason what's up with you uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at my name you can find me on Instagram at hot dog Debicki, hot dog the food Debicki Elizabeth Debicki you can find my other podcast The Barn a podcast about the shield 
Uh, you can find us on. You did the social media, right? Twitter and Instagram. I was like half. Oh paying yeah, attention. You, no, you can, you can, you can do that. I didn't do that. All right, so it's you can find us on. Uh, this is just this is just showing how much I'm fucking up. I gotta look this up on my notes right now. You can find us on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. You can find us on Twitter on it's on the list pod. Uh, Facebook, uh, you can find us on Facebook on It's On The List with Noah and Mason. I'm pretty sure I'll just post a link in the notes. Uh, if I have one thing to recommend this week, as we typically do, uh, FaceTime your friends or call them. Get some, like, voices, see some faces. Because um, if you're just going to be stuck inside with either a roommate or by yourself, it just just do what you can to see somebody else and and check in. It's gonna be you know this is a strange, confusing time, but the kind of silver lining around it is that we are all gonna we are all going through the same thing together, and it's helpful to check in with everybody just to uh, just to be a good friend. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, reach out when you need help and and just you know love each other. Remember to love each other, folks. That's the big. There you go. I like that a lot. Awesome, each other. Awesome recommendation, not only for this week but uh, all weeks, past, present, and future. My recommendation. Yeah, don't let this shit stop once we're all outside again. Like, yeah, be good friends. Once once coronavirus is gone, I'm stopping washing my hands. (laughs) um, I uh, my my recommendation is actually something similar along your lines. You see the tweets and you see the the posts about well, when Shakespeare was in quarantine he wrote king lear which first of all who fucking knows if that's true or not but also b i've been thinking you know a lot about you know i should be utilizing this time because i'm not working uh and we have to be stuck inside to be working on uh you know projects of some kind but to be honest with you guys it's been really tough to want to bring myself to do that and i have to really like push myself to sure, do it because yeah. of this well, because of the circumstances surrounding everything and wanting to make sure that i'm safe first and foremost so if you aren't feeling similarly to me where you think you should be creating and you're not for whatever reason that's okay yep. uh you can take this time to do the thing that is going to care you the best, whether that is sleeping, catching up on a TV show, discovering new music, writing, journaling, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be good. Just find something to do because we're going to be inside for a little longer than I think we all think we are. So yeah, have some fun when you can go outside, go for a walk. That's been helping me so much has been able to go for a walk at the park near my house. So Carter, do you have anything that you'd like to recommend? That's not media related. I, if I could recommend uh, that people check out the GoFundMe fundraiser organized by my friends in the organization Ground Game. Ground Game is a community uh, grassroots organizing uh, group that I know Mason has also done a little work with here in Los Angeles. Um, they do a ton of good work. They are raising funds just to distribute things for people's basic needs um, in in light of Corona. Um if you're looking to donate money that I know will go to a good place that I can promise you from like personal experience with these people, they will do good things with the money. Um, if you do, you can search it, or I'm sure we can include a link in the show notes, COVID-19 mutual aid network, Los Angeles. If you search that on GoFundMe, you should be able to find it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely link to it. I can't, I didn't do any kind of serious organizing work when I was in LA, but I know I can vouch for the ground game people just being straight up good folks. And, um, if you want your money, definitely want your money to go to a place where it's going to be used responsibly and carefully and with a community in mind, uh, yep. g- give, it, give it there. Uh, they are, that's, that's, uh, one of the only places I've really donated to cause it's, 
it's hard to know what the Red Cross is going to do with your money, quite frankly, in this situation. Definitely. I don't think the Red Cross Definitely. or Doctors Without Borders or anyone else, I don't think they know exactly what they're going to do with funds right now. Like, uh, I hate I hate to sound pessimistic, but, um, you know, I, I, donating to smaller things like this where, you know, person to person, you know people who are going to use that money effectively, that can really make yeah. a big yeah. difference right now. It, it, uh, definitely, definitely. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. We love you. Stay safe, stay healthy. Carter, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming back. And thanks for fucking setting up this podcast back all the way back in summer of 2019 to begin with. Cause, uh, we're, this will be episode 21 and we're going strong and I don't see us not doing an episode soon. So yeah, absolutely. I'd love it. Okay. All right. Bye Carter. Good night, everybody. Love you chefs. Bye.